Morning, everyone. Morning, everyone. There you go. Excellent. Well, good to be together today. Um, and welcome young Harry Zonneveld over there and Carl and Sarah. <laughs> Guys, um, congratulations. All going well? You, you're sleeping not? <laughs> There's some, yeah, so anyway. Well, great to have you here and um, great to have Harry amongst us too. Friends, if you want to get open Psalm uh, 2, that'll be great. And uh, if you want to put your finger in Acts 13, that'll be wonderful too. But you could just use part of the bulletin. But I want you to have the bulletin outline in front of you too. So you're going to have to use a finger. I don't know what you're going to have to do. Maybe a friend's finger next to you. Anyway, you'll work it out. You notice too that on the outline, there is, or just next to the outline, there's a little tear-off slip. So, so far, this is a new thing for our church, I realise that, and we've, we've had this little thing going for about five weeks. Uh, I've got one so far, one back, just one. So if you'd like to write anything, I'm, I'm going to take anything now, if you'd like to comment on my hair, that'll be all right too. But um, just something, so feel free to fill that in, and uh, yeah... That'll be great. Now, now, you could say, dear Graham, um, no, I'll stop there. So, enjoy that. Use it, please. Put it in the offertory bag as it comes around. I think we should pray and ask God to help us understand his word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your goodness to us. Uh, thank you for family. Thank you for little Harry who's uh, with us today for the blessing of new life. We thank you for him. And uh, we pray as we open your word now that you would uh, guide us uh, you'd help us to understand what you're saying to us. You would uh, help us to have hearts that are open to your word and that, um, that listen to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So I read a great story during the week of Elizabeth uh, the I. Uh, she was the, the monarch in Great Britain uh, 400-odd years ago, late 16th century, she was famous for a number of things. One of the things she was famous for, though, and should be well remembered for, is that she, was, well, she remained single. She never married. I'm not quite sure. She was the one, by the way, who, uh, there's been movies about her as well, but she was the one, of course, who wore lots of makeup. Um, and she was white, I guess, the fashions of the day, all that sort of thing. Now, although she remained single, she had a habit of flirting with European royalty. So, um, I forgot my clicker. Just hold on a second. Hold that story. I've got to get my clicker. Here it is. Good. Now, so she had a habit of flirting with European royalty. And, uh, and, and of course, we understand this because our, our Queen Mary of Denmark, uh, she, has a, she gives us an insight in flirting with European royalty. But um, for a time, uh, Elizabeth considered marrying a French Catholic. Now, there are two problems with this. One, um, he was French. And two, he was Catholic. So... One of her subjects voiced his disapproval via a letter to Elizabeth I, claiming that it was inappropriate for the British monarch to marry this French duke. Now, his name was the Duke of Alencon. There you go. So the Queen was not happy at this letter that she received and this letter of protest. So she summoned the man to her palace and ordered her men to cut off the hand of which he wrote the letter. The name of this man, rather appropriately, was John Stubbs. 
True story. Uh, now, following the removal of the offending hand, maybe I should do this with my jumper. There we go, that's better. Um, following the removal of that hand, he jumped up and he shouted, God save the Queen! Uh, and then he collapsed and was sent to jail for 18 months for good measure. That is the story of John Stubbs and part of Queen Elizabeth I's reign. Now, Psalm 2 tells us that God is like Queen Elizabeth in this story. God has authority and will exercise it. And those who dare to challenge that authority, those who defy or dare to defy God and his king, will not get away with it. Uh, Psalm 2, we note here, has four scenes. They're really four conversations, and uh, you can see them on your outline there. We're going to eavesdrop into those conversations. Here's the first one. It's verses 1 to 3, what the rebels say. So it's the opening scene of this psalm. Uh, it tells us of, the, of kings and rulers plotting together, conspiring against the Lord and his anointed one. Breathtaking arrogance, isn't it? Against God and his king. Why is the first word, the first question? Stupidity, in other words. And actually, in fact, these verses describe what has been par for the course since the earliest of days, don't they? Man taking on God. That's the story of human rebellion. Uh, from time to time we hear of, uh, uh, it's usually on crummy TV shows, I, I've got no, I don't want to bag, I, I won't name them, but you know the type of shows, where they have stories of bad tenants. You know those sort of stories? where they're tenants who are slow to pay their rent, tenants who uh, refuse to leave and they trash the property. And when they're finally kicked out, well, they leave holes in walls and they uh, rubbish everywhere. And you even hear stories of human excrement being used as graffiti to communicate their hatred toward these, uh, these landlord, the landlord. It's pretty graphic, but it's a not a bad illustration of what we do to the God who gave us this world to live in. We rebel against the owner. One writer wrote that we deny the owner his rights. Now, the New Testament tells us that this rebellion climaxed in Jesus. God's Christ, we're told. Uh, the, God's anointed King, the Messiah, whom, if we go back to 2 Samuel chapter 7 in the Old Testament, 2 Samuel 7 prophesied that God has given the right to this king to rule the universe. Now, but while Psalm, Psalm 2 describes the world's treatment of King David, it also acts as a prophecy for the treatment of King Jesus. So the Apostle Peter draws this link after the crucifixion. After he prays to God... Uh, and, and he thinks of who's been involved with these events of the crucifixion and the death of Jesus, he then quotes Psalm 2. Now, this is in Acts 4. We're going to get to Acts 13 in a few moments. If you want to jump to Acts 4, you've got 10 fingers, so try to fit them all in the various parts of the Bible. Um, Acts 4, verse 27. So Peter links Psalm 2 with what what we read in, in Acts chapter... Oh, sorry, he, he links Psalm 2 with the crucifixion. So, Psalm, Acts chapter 4, 
Acts 4, uh, verse 27. For in this city, that's Jerusalem, in fact, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, rulers, kings, you with me? With the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, so he's pretty much included everyone, hasn't he? Gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Do you see, and just before that, he had read Psalm 2, links them both together. Man taking on God, and its climax is at the cross. Ray Galeer is a pastor from Sydney, in Sydney's West. He's written a great book on the Psalms. I, I recommend it to you. It's called God is Enough. He writes that God became man and man hunted God down. He tells the story of, uh, he tells the story of, of an Easter pageant in London organised by a lady who was not a Christian. And this lady decided to ask the local minister to come and give an address at this Easter pageant. And so she suggested some topics like uh, peace for our world and love in a loveless world. But the minister turned to the woman and said, no, no, this is what I'll speak on. He said, I will be speaking on the topic, given half, the ch half a chance, man's first inclination when he meets God face to face is to kill him. Wow. You going to speak on that? Uh, <laughs> but, but you say, well, that's not me. I, I wouldn't have done that. I, I, I wouldn't have done that. That, that. Are you so sure? See, the fact is we are all guilty of this rebellion against God. What, what they did to Jesus, what, sorry, I should have put that up before, that's Acts 4 up there, but anyway. What they did to Jesus at the cross is what we in our sins have been trying to do. Do you see verse 3, back to Psalm 2? I know it's a bit of Bible flicking, but stay with me. Verse 3 in Psalm, Psalm 2 says, throw off. That's what the kings and rulers have been wanting to do. That, that's what sin is, isn't it? That we throw off God. We don't want to be tied down by him. We want to do our own thing. And so we rebel against him. We break free from God. That's what we've been trying to do. And that's what they did to Jesus at the cross. They wanted to remove the king. It's the same point that the rock band U2 makes in their song, uh, When Love Comes to Town. That's one of my favourite U2 songs. They, they actually answer the question posed by that uh, American 19th century spiritual, were you there when they crucified my Lord? And they answered that question with these words. Hopefully you can see it up there. I was there when they crucified my Lord. I held the scabbard when the soldier drew his sword. I threw the dice when they pierced his side, but I've seen love conquer the great divide. So what's God going to do? What, what, how does God going to, how's he going to react to this rebellion? That's our next scene. In particular, how does he react to these rulers and kings who plot and scheme? Well, so the next scene, the Lord speaks. The one enthroned in heaven laughs, the Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. So, the rebellion, such as this described in verses 1 to 3 that we've already looked at, what's that? It's an exercise in futility. 
Verses 4 to 6 answer that question of, uh, in verse 1 of why. The first word in the psalm. Why? Why do they bother? Why do they bother? What, why do we bother challenging God and taking on God? It is futile. Right now, Wes is 15. Now, I asked Wes and Archie if I had to, for permission to use this story. Just for the record, thank you very much. So where's my oldest? He's 15. Uh, Archie, he's 10. Wes is taller, stronger, faster, and dare I say it, smarter than Archie. <laughs> Nothing against Archie. Archie's just 10. Right? Now in family rumbles, as we all do, um, the honest truth is right now, Archie will never win. That's the honest truth. Uh, taking Wes on is an exercise in futility. Wes even laughs at Archie's feeble attempts to gain control. Wes toys with him, letting him get the upper hand, or at least letting, Wes, uh, Les, letting Archie think he's got the upper hand anyway. At times, Wes reach out, reaches out his hand and places the palm of his hand on Archie's forehead, and Archie swings, but can't get anywhere. Wes has complete power and complete control. Now, that's a bit like what we read here. See, God is on his throne. Do you see that in verse 4 and 5? God is on his throne in power and authority. God is not intimidated by this rebellion. He rules and he laughs. That's it tough isn't it he laughs now he's not laughing because he's having a good old time belly laughing haha someone's cracking jokes no no he laughs the laughing he laughs at the stupidity and arrogance of those who take him on laughs it's it's actually a rather scary picture for those people people who do such a thing now i tell you though uh, i'll be honest it's easy i think to get a bit disheartened and anxious about the future when we read of scenarios like this and we experience scenarios where politicians and leaders and rulers openly attack God and his word. They attack God and his relevance to society, to us as people, human beings. Scheming against God's rule, plotting to silence the sun. And when such rulers and authorities appear to be winning... Gets even harder, doesn't it? And that's something we're starting to experience in Australia. I think some states are further ahead than us, are starting to experience. Certainly, I think Victoria is more certainly further ahead down that, down that sort of path. Um, Psalm two reminds us, and to be honest, it rebukes me. I don't know about you, but rebukes me that God is in control that such rebellion is not new to him. God is on his throne. He rules. So we shouldn't lose hope. So we shouldn't lose heart. God is in control. So verse 6 tells us that God has installed his king, his king who will reign forever on Zion. That's the, the, the center of God's kingdom. God is in complete control. Now, history tells us that they, uh, they couldn't remove King David 
and they sure had no chance of removing King Jesus from his throne. Why? You see, it was on the cross where Jesus was publicly installed as God's victorious king. It was there in, in apparent weakness in the world's eyes where Jesus disarmed the devil, where he paid the penalty for our sin, where he loved us completely and sacrificially, where he destroyed death and he satisfied God's judgment. Jesus' kingdom will never be defeated. Jesus' kingdom will never be removed. Well, the king is, has now been installed uh, and the anointed one now speaks. Look at this next section. God announces his plan for his king. What the king says, verses 7 to 9. So I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. This really reads like a decree. The decree as the king speaks enlarges on the promises, or the promise of sonship, we read of King David's heir. So I put 2 Samuel up two Samuel up here. We don't have time to really read through the whole thing here. But the Lord said to David of this future king and his heir who will rule forever, I will be a father to him and he will be my son. So King Jesus, the New Testament tells us, and we've already read in Acts chapter 4, we'll read in a moment Acts 13, King Jesus tells us that he is God's son. King Jesus is God's son. Now let's, let's try to work out why. How do we know that? Well, he is alive today. Through his resurrection, Jesus was declared the son of God. So Acts 13, verse 30 says this, But God raised him from the dead. This is Paul speaking. God raised him from, from the dead, and for many days he was seen by those who had travelled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news. What God promised to our ancestors through King David, back in 2 Samuel 7, has been fulfilled for us, their children, their... Uh, their uh, descendants by raising Jesus as it is written in the second psalm you are my son today I have become your father it's Jesus' resurrection that publicly proved that Jesus is God's son Jesus' relationship with the father let's just think about that for a moment in some ways we're taking a little bit of a tangent this sidetrack but in others not what does, it, what does that mean in the context of what we've just been reading remember verses 1 to 3 that rebellion against God. What does that mean? It means that rejecting God's anointed one is rejecting God's son. And that's deeply personal to God, isn't it? Earlier this year, during a game of um, uh, soccer, this is Archie's game, my youngest, my youngest son, was treated, well, unfairly by officials and opponents. Uh, and he wasn't perfect let me assure you <laughs> but he was threatened uh, he was humiliated and then he was unfairly disciplined I felt that deeply this was very personal 
he's my son. And if it wasn't for a friend, perhaps others would have felt me more personally as well. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I joke about that, but, but he's my son. An attack on him is always going to be an attack on me, his father. Mums and dads know this too well, don't we, if you're a mum and dad? Um, it, it's an attack on the son is an attack on the father. So imagine how God feels when we plot and scheme against his son. Try to imagine what God felt like, what God felt when his son was killed for our sin. It's interesting that Jesus knew though. Jesus knew. But he also knew that those who crucified him would not have done such a thing if they knew who he really is, who he really was. And so God, he asked God to forgive them. Well, verses 8 and 9 point also because of Jesus' resurrection to the rule of Jesus. God has given everything to his son. In the Middle East where we spend some time, uh, it's the firstborn son's privilege to receive the family inheritance. So in Dubai, that would of course mean first dibs on the Ferrari and the Lamborghini and the youngest would have to settle for the Porsche. Um, so, no, not quite. But here, look... Here, God gives his firstborn son the universe, everything. In fact, Colossians 1 says, The son will rule over all, whether thrones or powers or authorities or rulers. The son will rule. In fact, Philippians 2 tells us that one day, whether we like it or not, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that Jesus Christ is King. So how must we respond? How must we respond to God's word? Well, the psalmist speaks. And note these last few verses. The psalmist speaks with a warning. And he also speaks with an offer of grace and forgiveness. So verse 10. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. In many countries, uh, overseas particularly, they greet each other with a kiss. Um, you're lucky to get a hug out of me. Um, you're probably not going to get a kiss. Um, most, uh, <laughs> most actually in Europe, it's not one kiss, is it? It's a, it's a one, two, and possibly three. In some Arabic countries, it seems to go on forever. One, two, three, four, five, six. And if you stop, oh my, what a great offence that is. Um, no, it's not quite, I exaggerate. Now, but the, it's a kiss of greeting, isn't it? In, those, in, Psalm, 12, in Psalm, uh, Psalm 2, verse 12, that's not the type of kiss here, here is it? it? It's a different kind of kiss. It's not so much a greeting, it's a statement. In fact, lovers of history would know that many peace treaties were sealed with a kiss between the two parties. So this kiss in Psalm 2 is like that. It's a kiss of peace, a submission, even surrender. It's saying, you are no longer at war with God. I want peace with God's king on God's terms. When I, when I became a Christian in my mid-teens, uh, a lot of things were going on. 
So I, I, I finally understood my need for forgiveness and my guilt before God. God actually finally, you know, God had made me understand that I'm really not that hot stuff at all. I'm, I'm really not that good at all. I, I needed Jesus' forgiveness and that, and that God loved me by sending his son to die for me. Uh, and and that, that's something I didn't deserve at all. And die for me, who was who guilty of ignoring God. I, I don't have one of those uh, stories that, you know, I didn't go off the rails. I was, I was quite a good boy, actually. I did all the sort of right things in the world's eyes, but I successfully ignored God for a long time. And when, when, I, weigh, when I was weighing it all up, this is, what I, this is the conclusion I came to. Um, weighing Jesus' life and death and resurrection, thinking about grace, thinking about um, forgiveness, the reality of judgment, all those things, where I stood before God, I, I actually felt I had no choice. I've got no choice. I, who was I kidding? I can't challenge God. Oh, there's no point in that. I had to follow Jesus. I had to trust in Him and give my life to Him. I had to kiss the Son. <laughs> and therefore, as that final verse says, find refuge and blessing in him well, today's a good day to do that isn't it it's a good day to kiss the sun <laughs> let's pray father thank you for today thank you for your goodness to us lord we uh we we pray that as we uh think and soak in all that this this psalm tells us and it's a lot uh lord we we pray that we would indeed kiss the sun, that we would come to you, Lord God, and pay, I guess, pay homage in surrender to, Lord Je to, to your King, Lord Jesus. Lord, let today be a day where we, where we do that um, and from the many days after. Lord, we thank you that you are indeed in control and that, Lord Jesus, you reign. Lord, help us to trust you in that, even when kings and rulers and authorities uh, plot and scheme against you. Lord, we thank you for your love for us in Jesus. We thank you that he died on the cross for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.